I am going to grab my phone because the clock up there isn't wrong. And I can fill in, but I cannot go over. Okay, so I'm not kidding. I have two sermons that I've given before today. So we're going to do a choose your own adventure and you get to pick which one I do. One is shorter than the other, but I'm not telling you which one it is. So we could talk about hope today or we could talk about holiness today. So hope or holiness. So if you're team holiness, raise your hand. If you're team hope, raise your hand. Hope it is. You chose the shorter one. It's like you knew. All right, so we're going to talk about hope today. Uh, I do think uh, March is a great month to talk about hope. Um, because of March Madness, we, we put too much hope in our, in our basketball team sometimes, maybe. I'm not talking about any black and gold team in particular. Okay. Right, hope. So we all have a choice in life. Okay, we, we either have a choice to look to the world and put our hope in it, or we can have a confident expectation of what God has promised us and its strength and its faith, his faithfulness. So, man, you guys, this is perfect because this is about 1 Peter and we've been preaching through 1 Peter. So I don't have any scriptures on the screen. So grab that little red book in front of you. We're going to open our Bibles today. We're in the book of 1 Peter. That is in the New Testament. In case you didn't know. i got to find mine. My goodness. Nope. This is a test of how well do you know your Bible? See, my first Peter honestly may have fallen out of this Bible. It's my favorite book. Okay, well, you know what? I have the verses written out. It's not in there. It really does fall out. It's not a lie. So, First Peter, Curtis kind of talked about this, but let's set the scene again for this book. So, so Peter probably wrote this letter about 30 years after Jesus had ascended. And he wrote this letter to a group of both old and new believers. Um, and these believers had been exiled from their community. They were experiencing massive amounts of suffering. And, and I mean like a deep, deep kind of suffering. Um, so, so already a huge task for Peter, as he knows what's happening at this point in history, and to this group of people, and he's going to write to give them encouragement and hope through this difficult time. So we are in chapter 1, starting in hmm, verse 3. Yeah, that's right. Okay, here's what it reads, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I love that we see that, that word born again, that born again language. Um, not only do we celebrate Christ coming into our broken world, but in comparison, Christ coming into our lives and us being born again through his spirit. And 
This is the first piece of encouragement Peter gives. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus was born so that we could be born again, so that we could truly experience Emmanuel, God with us. And to ultimately be giving of our, excuse me, ultimately be forgiven from our sins past, present, and future. And I really like how Peter puts it here. Not only are we born again, but we're born to a living hope. Think about the significance of that phrase, a living hope. Man, I could sit in that phrase all day. Because I read that what we see, we are not born again to a false hope or a dead hope or a misplaced hope, a partial hope. We're born again. We are not, sorry, we are born again to hopelessness in any form. We are born to a living hope, which is Jesus Christ, alive and living and breathing. What a message our hearts need today. Um, and in, in days like this, um, you guys ever like read the news? Do you ever uh, read anything positive? No. I mean, everything is, everything is bad. Death, destruction. People are bad. Everything. And we willingly do that to ourselves. Like, we choose to turn on that TV. We choose to read that article. But then we can read these words from Peter. And it gives us some perspective. We are the people called to hope. We are not called to hopelessness in any form. We are called to keep a perspective of hope. Hey, usually, Mom, I ask you when I can tell stories about you, but can I I tell the story about that one Christmas where you hurt yourself? Okay, cool, thanks. So, (laughs) well, I don't remember the tagline, so you're going to have to come in on that one. So my sister is somebody in our family who is always there to offer perspective. Whether it's negative perspective, that varies. Oftentimes as children, she would say, hey mom, no offense, but... She says it a lot. Uh, But there was a Christmas several years ago. Um, I used to help my grandpa when um, my grandma was still working. He was colorblind, so he couldn't match the bows to the paper. So I would go over and help him wrap. So I'm helping him wrap, and there's this new knife set. I said, who's this for? He goes, your mom. And jokingly, I was like, that's a good idea. So uh, Christmas rolls around, and mom opens this new knife set, and she's pretty pumped. She's like, yes. So Christmas night, we're all all home, and uh, you know like those hard plastic uh, containers that are hard to open, that stuff you buy stuff in? Well, she took one of her new knives and was like, I'll just open it. Don't pull the knife towards yourself. So she was pulling and it slipped. Um, Well, that turned out about how you would expect it to. So we were on our way to the ER on Christmas night. And we were in the car and Lauren said, don't worry, mom. What'd she say? Oh, come on. Oh, I'm crying. I've ruined Christmas. Yes, 
Yes. For those on the live stream, mom's crying. I've ruined Christmas, Lord. No, you're not, mom. We're making memories. And we're like in middle school, maybe. So, but perspective always turns the story around. But I know that perspective can be easier said than done. Um, but especially in times like this, we need to keep it close. Practice it when life is good so that when life takes a turn, it's habit to turn to the hope we're called to. We are people called to a living hope. We have a hope that's not grounded in this time of hardship. It's a present and future hope that we are looking towards. And it is not fitting for the people of God, those redeemed by the blood of Christ, to be hopeless. You are letting the world lie to you if you find that feeling. So, back to our scripture. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to verse 4, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Excuse me. So, um, hmm, Peter has reminded us that we've been born again through Christ into a living hope and through his redemption work that we have also been born again into an inheritance. Um, so this inheritance, we have some of it now and we get the rest of it in our future. Um, our, our inheritance is our salvation. So I said it's now and future. So the part that's happened now, um, we're no longer under the penalty of sin. That's a gift. Um, right now, no penalty if you are in Christ. And there is a future sense that, of course, is to live and dwell in the presence of God for eternity to come in heaven. So remember, Peter was a disciple. He sat at the feet of Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, and he heard Jesus say things like, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And why? Because everything you store up on earth is perishable. It's defiled, it's fading, and it's going to be taken from you. But Jesus is calling us to a better inheritance. It's an imperishable salvation that he holds for us. Look back at verse 4, how he describes this inheritance. He says it's imperishable, meaning it cannot die. He says it's undefiled, meaning it cannot spoil. He says it's unfading, meaning it cannot disappear. And he's kept it in heaven for you, completely holy and totally safe. And I don't know about you, but I don't think we have anything here on this world that is as sure as that. So on earth, how do you get an inheritance? What has to happen for you to get someone's inheritance? Someone has to die, right? Well, same thing here. Somebody died to grant us an inheritance. But then he was living and breathing and seated at the right hand of God. So that, that is why we can rejoice in his inheritance now. So we keep going. Verse 5. 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? There's the future inheritance. Um, yeah, we'll skip that paragraph. Verse 6. And this rejoice, in this you rejoice, though now for a while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we've talked about a past salvation, right? Being born again. The moment we said yes to Jesus. Hopefully in this room you've all done that. If you haven't, let me know. We'll talk about it. We've talked about a future salvation, going to be in the presence of God without the absence of sin. And now Peter brings that full circle by reminding us of a present salvation. There's a sense in which we are still being saved. Where we're free from the penalty of sin. We will be freed from the presence of sin. But now today, in this moment... Yeah, I said that. Good job, Taylor. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Being saved from the power of sin. That fancy word, sanctification, that we talk about sometimes. You ever heard that word? Sanctification. That's the Spirit of God working through us to change our desires. And that rather be held under the power of our old desires that always caused us to choose wrongly. Now we are given new desires that allow us to choose rightly. At least part of the time. Do you, uh, if you think back on your life, do you have an area which you can say, I'm still bad at that. Man, I used to be way worse. Sometimes that takes years, but by the grace of God, he works through us. See, you got holiness in both sermons, so this is a two-for-one deal. Skip that paragraph. Okay, let's go back to verse 8. Yeah, yeah, okay. So though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So think about how encouraging that message is to Peter's readers who are enduring fierce persecution because they don't look like and act like their neighbors. You know, again, Peter is someone who has physically seen Jesus in the flesh. He's lived with him. He's talked with him. He's watched him with his own eyes. The miracles he performed, he heard his teachings firsthand. But at the first opportunity, if you remember, but Peter denied Jesus. Not just once, but three times. Jesus said, you will deny me three times before this is all over. He said that to Peter. Peter said, no. But that's what happened. So Peter is saying, you haven't seen him, but you haven't denied him. 
Don't ever say to yourself, if I could just sit down with Jesus face to face at my kitchen table and have a frank conversation, I could figure all this out. Do you ever think that? And Peter is saying, no, you probably wouldn't. Don't overestimate how awesome it is to see Jesus face to face because it sure didn't help Peter. Peter had all of that and still denied Jesus. So Peter affirms for us what Jesus told his disciples. I'm going away, but something better is coming. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Even though we don't see him, he is with us. So let's finish with these last three verses. Uh, Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, excuse me, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter's saying, hey, the prophets you read about in the Old Testament, they were really good students of what parts of the Bible they had. And they wanted to know. They were so concerned in knowing what is the nature of the gospel, trying to figure out what the prophets were talking about, but what could they see? Right? They, they couldn't see the whole picture. Abraham had a little piece. Moses had a little piece. David had a little piece. And, and there were all of these pieces, but even the prophets and these great pillars of faith didn't have the whole picture. But you do. You have the whole picture. There, there's a clear course of record in the Old Testament of the sufferings of Christ being predicted. Which is why when Jesus tells his disciples that he will suffer and die, Peter freaks out on him, right? He says, you will not talk about such things. Because Peter hadn't even put the whole picture together. But Peter is standing here in this letter towards the end of his life saying, it was all there. It was all there and I didn't see it. But here and now, we have the whole picture. We can piece it together. Here it is. How encouraging it is to me that the prophets who I revere so deeply only saw a part of it, but I know the whole story. How cool is that? But Peter doesn't stop there. At at the very end, I love how he ends this. He says, even angels long to look into these things. You ever thought about angels like this? Um, Some people have told me this is a stretch, but I don't think it is. Angels cannot fully understand the gospel because they haven't sinned. They, They can look and rejoice as we have applied it to our hearts, and they can see that it's good for us, but they have no firsthand understanding of what it means to be redeemed by the feudal ways of your forefathers. So, Let's pretend I'm blind, right? Marky calls me. 
tell me about a beautiful sunset that she sees over the lake outside her window at, at her house. But I'm blind. Um, I can hear the enthusiasm and excitement in her voice, but I can't see the full picture and experience exactly what she's experiencing. The angels can hear and witness our excitement over the gospel, but they can't enter in in the way that we can. And if you can remember back to the book of Exodus, there was something called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, We've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Okay, so you know what it is. Cool. Um, So, the Ark of the Covenant. The description we get says that there are two angels on top of it, two cherubim. And the instructions say that they're facing each other with their faces downturning, gazing on the mercy seat. Which, by the way, that mercy seat is now Jesus. Okay? But underneath the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant was three things. A copy of the Ten Commandments representing the law which Jesus fulfilled. Aaron's staff that budded to represent the priesthood of the Old Testament which Jesus now fulfills. And three, it had a jar of manna to represent provision, which Jesus then fulfilled as the bread of life. And these angels are symbolically looking down, and I think partially they are longing to understand a truth that they're never going to understand or know like we do. Peter wants to encourage his readers who are going through all these trials by saying, do you understand that the prophets who you revered so deeply did not have what you have? Do you understand that possessing a salvation that was and is and is to come, you are the very envy of angels? Those are truths to put your hopes in. So I said this earlier, we have a choice in life. We can either look at the world and put our hope in it, or we can have a confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength and his faithfulness. My grandma had a saying, you can either be bitter or you can be better, but you can choose. When things are hard and they tell you to do the next thing, you have no idea what the next thing is. Hope in Christ is always the next thing. It's the right thing, and it is a sure thing, as Peter has shown us. Hope is not an abstract concept. It's not a mirage. Hope is what you do. Hope dares to say this way should not be, but this way can turn around. The world will tell you that hope is not a strategy, as if hope is a pie in the sky, as if hope is some fuzzy feeling, some cheek fake substitute, as if it's the best tactic for life is Wow, as if the best tactic for life is a daily planner when the truth is. That was pretty good. I wrote that two years ago. Just kidding. So hope is the only strategy we have to keep living. When you don't know what to do, hope in Christ is always what you do. We've got the whole picture. You have the whole picture. We've seen what Christ has done what he's doing, what he's going to do. And with confidence, we can hope in such sureness. 
you can live 21 days without food. You can go 11 days without sleeping. You can go seven days without water. Most of us only go three minutes without air, but we cannot keep living without hope. So through the rest of this Easter season, through the rest of this year, let's walk in hope. Uh, That's my prayer because it's a gift we've been given and all we need to do is receive. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are here together. Blessing your name and thanking you for the great work of salvation you have done in each of our lives. Thank you for the gift of your story, the part we get to play in it. Jesus, help us to turn our eyes towards you, to to turn our hearts back to your spirit. As we walk through the rest of this year, Lord, renew the hope within us to where it was when we first said yes to you. Jesus, even through the hardships we've had, you've never failed us. You kept us close. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to keep us close, that you will walk with us through every minute of every day. We hope in you, Jesus. Let us forget the false hope this world gives, and may we cling to the sure hope that you provide us. We join our spirits together as we pray the prayer that your son taught us to say. We pray to our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 